Hi, my name's Kramer, and I am proud to admit that I am a mama's boy. You're not just any mama's boy. You're a certified mama's boy. And this is the Certified Mama's Boy Podcast. What would you do if you're married, okay, or in a relationship's fine, and one of your coworkers started sending you nude photographs? Think about that. I'll tell you how I handled it with one of my coworkers, a story I've never been able to tell ever before on the radio, and now I can here on the Certified Mama's Boy Podcast. Hello. Uh, this is a podcast that I created with my mom. My name is Steve Kramer, by the way. It's really, it's got some positivity. It makes you laugh. It makes you think. helps you grow as a human, I hope, as I'm kind of growing through a lot of things. And uh, before we talk to my mom, I wanted to just let you know that uh, this week we are doing another survey for the show as I'm kind of narrowing down what you like and what you don't like. And we made some changes last uh, two weeks ago, and I want to see if those changes are, are sitting well with you. And, you know, I'm still considering taking this show down to three times a week. So now that we've had a couple more weeks, you know, for you to kind of listen and see how much you're listening and kind of watching the numbers and everything. I want to see if you, uh, if you guys think we should go down to just a couple days a week. So it's really important. I would really appreciate if you take, it takes less than five minutes. You can win a Target gift card and that link is at survey.certifiedmamasboy.com or if you go to the show notes, it's right there, but survey.certifiedmamasboy.com. Like if you're on your phone, just real quick, please, please. And uh, today's show, we couldn't get her on because it was uh, Friday. We took kind of a different turn about anxiety, but I told you my sister had another Dramaggy story. So today, not just my mom, but Maggie, my sister, is on as well. Um, Maggie, what what happened this week? I feel like every week is just a moment where I'm like, okay, maybe I am kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> so John and I were just hanging out at his house one night, and he was like, oh, gosh, and that's all he said. And he like hopped up and I was like, what, what? And there was a small mouse that had run across the living room, but I, I hadn't seen it yet, but I was like, okay. And then I just like kind of shut down internally. I was like, okay. I was like, John, where's the mouse? Like, where is, where is it? He wasn't answering. Wait, he told enough. you there was a mouse? Yeah. He told me. Okay. That was probably a mistake. I don't think he would ever yeah, again in the future. Um, right. He hops up and I'm like, okay. And I was like, John, pick me up, carry me. And he was like, I'm not going to carry you. He was like, just go out of the room. Like the mouse is in here. He was like looking under the sofa. And I was like, okay. And I had bare feet. So I was like, I'm just going to go into the kitchen. So I go into the kitchen. I'm just like cleaning the kitchen, doing the dishes, like trying to just stay calm. And meanwhile, I'm in my head. Um, just being like, oh my gosh, there's rodents everywhere. We have to clean. Um, and then I looked down and the mouse scurried literally right next to my bare feet um, <laughs> and ran right under the uh, refrigerator, which I have this thing. I think I manifest my fears. So I think truly like the mouse knew I was scared. So it came right to me. Um, but in that moment, I mean, I dropped the dishes. I screamed bloody murder. I had never seen a mouse before like a inside. And so I hopped on the counter. I was screaming bloody murder. Um, and John is like, calm down, calm down. Where did he go? And I was like, he's under the fridge, but I just need you to carry me out of the house. I have to just leave. And he's like, you don't even have shoes on. Like, I'm not going to carry you out of the house. You need to walk out of the house. I was like, I can't even grab my shoes. I couldn't even grab my purse. Like Maddie. I, truly got on his back and he walked through the front door and I ran out of there like I had seen a mouse. Actually. And then where did you go? I went home. 
<laughs> oh, you were over at his house. Yeah. Wow. And then, <laughs> it was very dramatic in the moment. I don't know if you guys had ever seen I it. just worry because, you know, you're still in the engaged phase. There's still a chance for him to be like, I don't know. This is, this is a bit much for me. I guess I you know? it down. <laughs> no, he's so sweet. He always diffuses your drama. Yeah. He's he, so um, good about that. He's very calm and relaxed. <laughs> like higher nights, you gotta have both sides, you know. That's yeah, true. that's true. Exactly. You keep it, you right. keep it exciting. That's for sure. Who's that's dramatic right. in my relationship? Yeah, we all know the truth. The answer to that uh-huh. one. Uh huh. Yeah. All right, Mag. I love you. Love you too. Talk love to you, you later. Honey. Bye. Um, on Friday's show, I was telling you that I was having some really bad anxiety and. It's crazy because I feel like I spent so much of my life dealing with stomach issues and like, cause today here it is, it's Sunday. We recorded last episode on Thursday and my stomach was so bad, you know, and I was, I was like, oh no, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but my stomach feels so much better today. And I really do think so much of it's caused from anxiety. It's kind of crazy to me how much like those two can be connected. I for a long time fought that notion that like any kind of stomach problems can be caused by stress. I mean, I fought it for years and years and years and years thinking I must have, I mean, I guess as far as like uh, hypochondria, as far as like a stomach cancer. Um, so, but today I'm feeling a lot better than I was last time you and I were talking, but I wanted to talk about kind of what was going on because it was a big change that I've been kind of putting off for a long time. And I'm not, I don't do well with change. My body is so, just wants to just have the same thing happen every single day at the exact same time for the rest of eternity. And mm-hmm. I know some people love change. Like some people can just uproot their lives and go and live somewhere else and do something else. And uh, it's, it's no big deal. Me, I'm not cut from that cloth at all. So um, I had to, uh, I'll call break up with my radio agent on Friday and I had been putting it off for a long time, and he has been, he's an older guy, and he's been uh, in and out of the hospital for a couple of months, and that made it even more challenging because I worked with this guy for almost a decade, and he almost became like a, a grandfather to me. It almost felt like, you know, some, I remember when I mean, you work with somebody for that long, 10 years, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my longest, it's probably my, one of my longest professional, it is my longest professional relationship that I've had, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, but I just knew that it was time to make a change. And I spent weeks on that. I've spent weeks on trying to figure out like, was that the right move? Um, was it the, uh, am I making the wrong decision? You know, and, and a lot of it came down to personal. Cause I said like, he's been out of, in and out of the hospital and it, it felt like really inconsiderate to call a guy who's not doing well and be like, Hey, I know you're in the hospital, but also, you know, you're fired. Mm. And so I, I mean, literally for weeks I worked on and I've, uh, I found someone else I'm going to work with. And I thought it was my first step. And then I've been just dreading putting off uh, making that phone call and having Mm -hmm. that conversation. Uh, So Friday I finally did it and it was hard and Mm -hmm. it was long. It was about an hour. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, uh, I'm gl- I mean, I don't have any regrets, but it was still just a hard change to have to make. 
mm-hmm. hard decision to have to make, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my mom would have been encouraging, you know, and everyone, everyone that I talked to professionally, um, you know, felt like it was also probably the right time. So, mm-hmm. uh, but mom, I don't do well with change. I don't <laughs> like it. Really, is like, and I think that's honestly why I stayed in my marriage as long as I did. And I probably, mm-hmm. honest to God, would still be in that marriage if she didn't leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Change is hard, but it's so necessary to move forward to the next stage of life. Um, and you're at a wonderful age of discovery. I think 30s and 40s are very exciting times for people because you have a history to draw from. You know a lot more about yourself than you certainly did in your 20s. And um, if you do the work and take the time to get to to discover who you are and what you need in life and what's important to you and what you value, then you can act on that so that in your 30s and 40s, you can explore different opportunities to lead you to that next phase of life that you know, 50s and 60s, which are grand too in their own way. But I, but change is hard. Change is hard. It's scary because yeah. it means that it's the unknown. You don't know about this new agent. You haven't worked with them before. Right. You think it's going to be good, but you don't know. But you also knew that, that what you had was not working. Um, so, you know, it takes courage. It takes courage to make those hard calls, but I'm so glad that you did. And I know that you feel better. You know, our gut, I mean, our gut is where our central nervous system is. I mean, really everything comes from there. And so if you're having gut issues, more than likely, a lot of that has psychological ramifications, Right. More so than physical. I hate to say this, um, but I most of my stomach pain went away after I got divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Ooh, so yeah. Yes. Yep, yes. Yep, yep. Absolutely. Our bodies are amazing. They're sending us warning messages all the time, yeah. and and we tend to try to put, you know, a Band-Aid on our emotions by um, attributing it to physical problems and working on that when really if we get our emotional and spiritual house in order, those things all respond appropriately. Right. It's a, that body-mind connection is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it crazy, is amazing, crazy, crazy. amazing. But I'm proud of you, and I'm excited. I'm excited for this next step for you because you, you know you're in your prime. It's a great time to make a change. It's a great yeah. time. So, well, yeah. we shall see. Let's figure <laughs> out. We're still sitting here in a year's time doing podcast. It maybe wasn't the best change. <laughs> now, how do you know? Maybe this could be the most successful podcast in history. Maybe it could be. <laughs> Not currently. I was talking to a friend over the weekend and she was asking, uh, she's a radio friend of mine, and she was asking about the podcast. I'll read you this text message. Hang on, let me pull it up. She said, um, she said, How, how's the podcast coming? 
<laughs> and uh, she said, you would never have to leave your house. And I'm like, that's true. It's a dream job, LOL. Uh, I think I only lost about $175 this last month. So we're, <laughs> so we're getting better. <laughs> oh, man. It's good. It's fun. It's where you need to be today. And that's all yeah. that matters, right? Yeah. If I got to go broke doing something. I'm just glad it's going broke with you, mom. No, oh, well, thank you, honey. <laughs> We've shared a lot together. I don't know why. I broke for, you know, it's <laughs> glad it can be this podcast. So. Well, your Sunday show was, was better. It was good. Oh, dear. Did you like it better listening back to it? I did, except that I said to call the text line. Well, you know. That's a... <laughs> I called the text line. Well, no, I didn't call nobody the text answered. line. Nobody answered when I dialed <laughs> 741741. It's kind of my experience on Zoom when I thought the Zoom number was yeah, a phone number. Fine, yeah. uh, like, oh. At the age of 60, we don't expect much out of you guys anymore. <laughs> Just, we, we know what you mean. We, we just go watch your birds and plant your flowers. I almost feel like I should put my mom on TikTok just to really just, just change some things up a little bit. Just to really rock her world. The podcasting wasn't enough for 2020. Oh, no. Give me a few minutes, okay? Give me yeah, a few minutes. I'm still trying to master this thing. No, you're doing good. You're doing okay. Good. Okay. Right. You say so. I love you. I love you forever. All right. So I told you this week we were going to kind of honor the class of 2020, who I can't imagine how terrible this whole thing has been. I know everyone's making the best of every situation, right? Like, uh, but I, especially if you're graduating from college, you worked four, five, six, seven, some of you eight <laughs> years to achieve this great moment where we all pictured walking up this big stage and getting your big diploma and, and, and you know, your friends and your family cheering you on, where now, you know, that's all kind of gone to hell. Um, so what I wanted to do in honor of all of our graduates this year, if it's high school or college, is take a look at some of the best commencement speeches that have ever been given and ones that really make me feel motivational. And hopefully, you know, that's part of this podcast is making us feel good by the time we're, by the time we're done, right? So I'll take maybe like a five-minute clip out of my favorite ones and we'll just kind of share it and we'll talk about it. And we'll start today with my guy, one of my favorite people of all time, Conan O'Brien. And somebody remind me to to play that part uh, or to play the clip of me on his show. I was on a show back in 2012, no, 2015, and uh, it was kind of funny. So somebody remind me. We'll talk about it maybe later on this week. Anyway, so uh, Conan was the commencement speaker at the Dartmouth College in uh, 2011, and he really talks about, I need you to like realize where the state of mind he's at when he's giving the speech. You know, Conan was the host of the show after the Tonight Show for a long time. Then he was uh, given the Tonight Show, and then quickly, within nine, I think nine months or something, he was let go from the Tonight Show, uh, and they brought Jay Leno back in. So he's kind of coming from a place where he felt like he was a failure, and I think that uh, I personally can relate a little bit to this, but we'll take you back now to 2011 and Conan O'Brien over at Dartmouth College. In 2000, I told graduates, don't be afraid to fail. Well, now I'm here to tell you that though you should not fear failure, you should do your very best to avoid it. <laughs> Nietzsche famously said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. What he failed to stress is that it almost kills you. 
Disappointment stings, and for driven, successful people like yourselves, it is disorienting. What Nietzsche should have said is, whatever doesn't kill you makes you watch a lot of Cartoon Network and drink mid-price Chardonnay at 11 in the morning. <laughs> now, by definition, commencement speakers at an Ivy League college are considered successful. But a little over a year ago, I experienced a profound and very public disappointment. I did not get what I wanted, and I left a system that had nurtured and helped define me for the better part of 17 years. I went from being in the center of the grid to not only off the grid, but underneath the coffee table that the grid sits on, lost in the shag carpeting that is underneath the coffee table supporting the grid. It was the making of a career disaster and a terrible analogy. But then something spectacular happened. Fog-bound, with no compass and adrift, I started trying things. I grew a strange cinnamon beard. I dove into the world of social media. I started tweeting my comedy. I threw together a national tour. I played the guitar. I did stand-up, wore a skin-tight blue leather suit, recorded an album, made a documentary, and frightened my friends and family. Ultimately, I abandoned all preconceived perceptions of my career path and stature and took a job on basic cable with a network most famous for showing reruns, along with sitcoms created by a tall black man who dresses like an old black woman. I did a lot of silly, unconventional, spontaneous, and seemingly irrational things. And guess what? With the exception of the blue leather suit, it was the most satisfying and fascinating year of my professional life. To this day, I still don't understand exactly what happened, but I have never had more fun, been more challenged, and this is important, had more conviction about what I was doing. How could this be true? Well, it's simple. There are few things more liberating in this life than having your worst fear realized. I went to college with many people who prided themselves on knowing exactly who they were and exactly where they were going. At Harvard, five different guys in my class told me they would one day be president of the United States. Four of them were later killed in motel shootouts. The other ones briefly hosted Blue's Clues before dying senselessly in yet another motel shootout. Your path at 22 will not necessarily be your path at 32 or 42. One's dream is constantly evolving, rising and falling, changing course. This happens in every job, but because I have worked in comedy for 25 years, I can probably speak best about my own profession. Way back in the 1940s, there was a very, very funny man named Jack Benny. He was a giant star, easily one of the greatest comedians of his generation. And a much younger man named Johnny Carson wanted very much to be Jack Benny. In some, way he's, in some ways he was, but in many ways he wasn't. He emulated Jack Benny, but his own quirks and mannerisms, along with the changing medium, pulled him in a different direction. And yet, his failure to completely become his hero made him the funniest person of his generation. David Letterman wanted to be Johnny Carson, and was not. And as a result, my generation of comedians wanted to be David Letterman. And none of us are. My peers and I have all missed that mark in a thousand different ways. But the point is this, it is our failure to become our perceived ideal that ultimately defines us and makes us unique. It's not easy, but if you accept your misfortune and handle it right, your perceived failure can become a catalyst for profound reinvention. So, 
at the age of 47. So at the age of 47, after 25 years of obsessively pursuing my dream, that dream changed. For decades in show business, the ultimate goal of every comedian was to host The Tonight Show. It was the holy grail. And like many people, I thought that achieving that goal would define me as successful. But that is not true. No specific job or career goal defines me, and it should not define you. In 2000, in 2000, I told graduates to not be afraid to fail. And I still believe that. But today, I tell you that whether you fear it or not, disappointment will come. The beauty is that through disappointment, you can gain clarity, and with clarity comes conviction and true originality. Many of you here today are getting your diploma at this Ivy League school because you have committed yourself to a dream and worked hard to achieve it. And there is no greater cliche in a commencement address than follow your dream. Well, I'm here to tell you that whatever you think your dream is now, it will probably change, and that's okay. Four years ago, many of you had a specific vision of what your college experience was gonna be and who you were gonna become. And I bet today most of you would admit that your time here was very different from what you imagined. Your roommates changed, your major changed. For some of you, your sexual orientation changed. I bet some of you have changed your sexual orientation since I began this speech. I know I have. <laughs> but through the good, and especially the bad, the person you are now is someone you could never have conjured in the fall of 2007. I've told you many things today, most of it foolish, but some of it true. I'd like to end my address by breaking a taboo and quoting myself from 17 months ago. <laughs> At the end of my final program with NBC, just before signing off, I said, Work hard, be kind, and amazing things will happen. Today, receiving this honor and speaking to the Dartmouth class of 2011, I have never believed that more. Thank you very much and congratulations. Mm. I mean, I think it's gonna have a lot of meanings to a lot of different people, but I'll, I'll share mine with you. The, you know, the part where he says, today I tell you that whether you fear it or not, disappointment will come. The beauty is that through disappointment, you can gain clarity. And with clarity comes conviction and true originality. You know, I struggle with that right now as I'm, you know, just lost this big radio job and kind of like, what does it mean? Where will it go? I can remember the, tell you the first time that I lost my radio job. And I truly thought that was going to be the end of my career because I had spent six years in this small, tiny little city in Florida building up this big time morning show. And when I, when we lost our job in Tampa, I, you know, Holly and Miguel both decided, Holly actually was pregnant, so she decided she was going to get out of radio for a while, and Miguel was going to go back to our old station. They'd offered us the position to come back and be on that station, and I, uh, I didn't want to go back, and my ex-wife didn't want to go back, and so uh, we, we decided not to, and Miguel then decided to go back and do his own thing over in, in Panama City. And that was hard because I'm like, who am I? Like, I have seen so much success with this other team. Can I be successful without them? And so that's when I took the job. It, it took me a, a little bit of time to find the right job. And I took the job in Phoenix, which I wasn't 
thrilled with, I would say. It just didn't feel so natural. And even that scared me. But I did know I could learn. I, that, what that taught me is I could work with another team and still do it. Like I could still, even with a person I didn't have like great chemistry with off the air, we could still get on the air and do a good show. So that kind of gave me the confidence that I can be, I can work with another team and still be successful, right? But it wasn't until I got over to San Diego where I was on this show that was already successful, right? But I, you know, working with them, we kind of made it more successful that kind of gave me the confidence of like, I can do this. And if I never lost, if I never lost that job back in Tampa, I always would have wondered, can I do this without them? And that's kind of a vulnerable spot to be in, right? I leave San Diego with the confidence, like I can do it. I might get fired in the process, but I can do it. I just can't wait till I can come on this podcast in, let's just say, a year's time. And I can say, hey, you know what? Remember that time we got let go from San Diego? That was like, thank God that happened. You know, you have those days like that? That could actually be like a really positive way we can talk about this this week. Is like what in the moment seemed so terrible to you, but how did it turn out? 888-Kramer8. 888-K-R-A-M-E-R-8. I think there's a lot of us right now who are going through a lot of change and a lot of different things that we don't feel so comfortable with. But hearing stories like that can be really motivational. I mean, I can tell you too the same thing with my divorce. I mean, I thought that was it. That was the end of the world for me. Um, But I, while romantically, I'm not where I want to be right now. I can tell you that as a human, as, as myself, I... I've never been more strong and secure than I am now. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Conan's example is pretty, I don't know if it's going to speak to yours as much, your life as much, but with me, it was very much a kind of situation where I'm hoping I can come out of this and be like, yeah, thank God that happened. Like, thank God I lost. Imagine if I was still working at Channel 933. Where would I be today? Versus where I am now. I mean, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But uh, we'll take some of your phone calls this week, too. Like, the time you thought it was, like, the worst thing in the world, but how did it turn out to be, like, one of the best things that ever happened to you? 888-K-R-A-M-E-R-8. And if you guys like this, then, like, all week I thought we would just keep looking at more commencement speeches and kind of talking through. And I should probably have my mom on me because I feel like she'd give better words of wisdom than I will, right? Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do Monday Cheese May. These are the gossipy stories I was never able to tell you when I was on the radio. And uh, I got plenty. I was thinking through today. There's so many stories and a ton from Channel 933 that I have to kind of let some of them outlive their statute of limitations. You know what I mean? So uh, don't worry. We got plenty of podcasts to go. But today I want to tell you a story I've never been able to tell before because it was really precarious situation. I'm kind of curious how you might handle it too, but I had a coworker that was sending me nudes, like nude photographs to my phone. And I didn't really know how to handle it. I'm not even sure if I handled it the right way. And next with Monday Cheese May on the Certified Mama's Boy podcast. Monday Cheese May. I'll tell you what this is. It's a segment that I do on Mondays because I am a cheese mozo. In case you don't know what that term means, that is the, it's in Spanish, cheese may refer, or is uh, translated into gossip. And a cheese mozo 
is the kind of person she's made, but she's most so is the person that like spreads the gossip, right? And when I was on the radio in San Diego, I was that guy. I was always the guy that had like the, hey, have you heard? Did you hear? Like, I just love it. I love like a good juicy story, right? And so when I started the podcast, I'm like, man, there's so many stories I've never been able to tell before because I've been on the radio. And I sit here and I make a list of them. Some of them I got to let live out there like statute of limitations. Some are still like really fresh. Um, but uh, listen, we've got ton of stories, though, that I've never been able to tell before. So Monday, we do those. And I want to tell you the story today about the time that I had a coworker that was sending me nudes, nude photographs, and how I handled that situation, because that's an awkward, awkward spot. Okay, let me take you back to Panama City. And I mean, that was wild. I feel like, I feel like whenever I say, let me take you back to Panama City, you know it's going to be a wild situation. So um, we had, through the course of this five years, when I was there hosting a morning show on uh, on Island 106, we had a ton of interns that would come through the door. I think at any given time, I'm pretty sure we had at least two, if not three or four, that were these college kids that were just trying to get radio experience, right? And and we would mentor them, and we would you know teach them the ways. And some of them actually became pretty successful broadcasters, which was cool. Well, but you can imagine in that situation, and and maybe, and I'm willing to take some of this blame for sure, because I always have a hard time with mixing business and friendships and like how to balance those two. And so I would be like readily available to talk to any any of these interns that they would need help or we would just, you know, maybe go to lunch or just whatever. It was a very casual kind of situation. Well, there was one intern and I won't say her name, but I would have this, I had this relationship with that I thought was casual. I thought it was cool. Nothing going on. And um, one night, and I don't remember exactly how this relationship progressed, but I remember that my wife, because I was married at the time, was out of town. And so her and I were just, it was like a Saturday night or something. And we were just talking back and forth, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And somehow the conversation came to her sending me nude photographs. Um, it was, and I honestly, it's been, it's been like 10 years now, maybe more than 10 years. So I can't even remember exactly how this whole thing progressed until, uh, but I, all I remember is like, huh? Okay. This, and it didn't go from like, Hey, what's up? What you doing? How you doing? You doing good? I'm good. I'm good. You good. You good. Let me see your boobs. I mean, (laughs) it was, it seemed pretty casual. And then all of a sudden, uh, it wasn't casual anymore. And that put me in a really awkward predicament because I had in that moment, that was like the first time I was young, right? Keep in mind, I'm like 25, 26, but still the manager of these kids, you know, that were not that much younger than me. They may have been, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, I had to really make a managerial kind of decision at that moment. Like how in the world am I supposed to handle this? And I, cause I had to like spin it through my head where I was like, okay, I mean, do I like say this is inappropriate? Like, da, da, da. Um, and I remember that I, what I decided to do was because she, she was at a, and I she may actually ended up doing, I don't know if she ended up doing broadcast or not, but she was really interested in broadcasting. And I didn't really want to like get rid of her because that was like a really precarious 
situation, right? I mean, that would be the easiest thing for me just to go in and be like, listen, like this is inappropriate. You can't do this. I can't believe you do that to me. We're done. Um, so instead I had to go in and have a conversation with her on that Monday and be like, listen, I, this made me like really uncomfortable and I, I don't know if I gave you like the wrong vibes, but I'm married and you just can't, can't do that. Like you can't, you can't just, and this is like shortly after I was married. So like you can't be like sending me stuff like this. Everything we have, like we can have somewhat of like a friendship, but it has to pretty much just stay professional. And that was a really awkward conversation for me to have as a 25, 26 year old manager. Right. Um, I, I never told my ex-wife that story and I don't know that I should have. I'm not sure if that's the kind of thing where you go in and you, you have a, um, Hey, by the way, my intern was sending me n- nudes, but I'm going to let her stay. And, Oh, even just thinking about like, like the predicament that whole thing was in. So, um, I, I let her stay. She got through the rest of the semester or whatever. Well, I don't know how long it kept in there. I don't know if a semester or a couple of months, but, um, it was, it was fine ever since then. But, I remember, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it's really wildly uncomfortable when you don't want to go in and like blow the whistle and like completely, because I was afraid I might screw up her career. I wanted to give her the opportunity to keep going and she respected it. But yeah, that's the time that I had to stop my, uh, my interns from sending me nudes. So there you go. Um, so tomorrow we are going to do Ask My Mom. If you're new to the podcast, it's a segment where you can send in messages and we can um, we can kind of talk through some of this. Our, our Thursday one that we did, we do it Tuesday and Thursday, is uh, a young woman that said that her ex ended up coming back home a couple nights ago and he was drunk, but he came from church and she was trying to figure out like, why was he drunk at church? Go back and listen to last Thursday's episode. And then I uh, just want to play a call from uh, w- with your advice before we move on. Hey, Kramer, Lisa from Atlanta. Two things. One, um, if she has suspicions or suspicions, yes, um, about those other nights that he's been going over to his friends playing video games, maybe he's suspicious that that's not exactly where he was, then, yeah, there's a chance he's cheating. But if she doesn't have any other suspicions, the fact that he got drunk, and when you get drunk, you get very emotional, right, and do things you wouldn't normally do, then maybe going out to to church to sit and just kind of think about things isn't really that far out of character. So I'm, I'm leaning towards giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. But like your mom said, if she feels like she needs, you know, a little bit of time, not to break up, but just to go to her parents, then I think that's what she should do. Thanks. Love the show. I don't know. Honestly, like I spent a lot of time thinking about this weekend. It still feels weird to me. But uh, anyway, brand new one tomorrow. And now the good news. Okay, at the end of every episode, right now at least, what we're doing is like the good news coming from the coronavirus because we are all burnt out with this nonsense. I actually got a message from a woman. I wish I would have bookmarked this. It would take me forever to find it now. But she was saying that uh, it was actually in response to the uh, Izzy Corn cheating kind of situation. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was to the um, the one about the guy that wanted to go to Chula Vista to the baby shower. Uh, but she was saying that her husband just got diagnosed with it and he's got like really sick and he's like, oh, he's like my age. around. He's like in the mid-30s and... 
So as much as like sometimes, I just in complete honesty, it frustrates me. This whole thing is very frustrating. I am ready to move on with my life, but I have to take myself out of it and look at it like, it's not about just me and what I want. You know, everybody's protesting right now. Listen, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. Like it's, it's you know, I we live in an amazing country where you're able to go and protest without getting like hung in the town square, right? But it's not just about you. You may want to go get your hair cut. I understand. But it's not about you. It's about like us literally not dying. Because the no matter what, listen, and I, I'm, a, I'm on a rant. Lord, turn, the, turn this music off. I... I understand that like you want to go out and you want to do your stuff and you want to like get life going. And we, we as a whole all want to get the economy going again. The thing is like the economy can come back no matter what kind of dire straits we're in, no matter how dire and shooty your situation looks like right now, it's going to come back. There's like zero chance that like whatever situation you're in is not going to get better, right? Unless you're dead, that would be the ultimate, it's not going to get better kind of situation. So I hope that like you'll think about that. Trust me, again, I I do not like staying at home. I do not like not being able to get a job. I did not, I actually filed for employment last week and that was a really, you know, a really bizarre moment in my life. And I don't like that. I don't want to have to live off that, but we're, here we are. And, but I know one step worse than unemployment would be death. So I'm really trying to avoid that. I don't know how I got on this rant. Let's get into the good news once again. That's not even what it's about. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Okay. So, um, yes, so we talk about the good news coming out of the coronavirus right now. And we'll start today over in Paris. Um, and actually, I don't know if he's lived in Paris, but I'm going to assume he did. Um, so it's been 14 years since their fi- final performance, but 160 former Disneyland Paris cast members living all over the world have dusted off their dancing shoes in quarantine to present one more time the wonderful world of Disney Parade. Let me take you back now. There's a guy named Matt Davies, okay? Sitting at home, dude's bored, he got nothing to do. And so he started looking through some of his old photos when he worked over at Disneyland Paris. He said, seeing photos of me dancing in the parade with so many great people, I decided to set up a Facebook group to see if any there would be or any interest in creating a lockdown version of the wonderful world of Disney Parade, which ran in Disneyland Paris from 1998 to 2007. So he contacted the 80 people on Facebook, started this group up, right? The group today, and as the story was written, I think yesterday, uh, the member, the, the group had over 1,200 members, all of them, these former Disneyland Paris Parade members, performers, and they're all sharing their photos and their, you know, their experiences through the time. Well, what they decided to do then is they got 160 of these people to perform their, like the, the dance they would do in the parade and they put them together for this really cool montage. You know how they go, right? Like, hey there, hi there, hold it's a Disney kind of day. Glad to see your smiling faces as we pass along the way. There's lots of fun and laughter here waiting just for you. All you have to do is make a wish and watch a dream. Yeah. True, if you take my hand, just like Alice here in Wonderland, it's magic. Clap your hands 
So I'll put this video in the show notes, uh, but I just thought it was really cool how they all came together to do that. It's always fun to like reunite. Even when I have Holly and Miguel on here, you know, my old co-host, it's just fun to reminisce. So that video is over in the show notes. Now back to America for another feel good. You may have already seen this. So they did this Rise Up New York virtual telethon. It was hosted by Tina Fey, the comedian, right? And um, it was this group called Robin Hood who they're raising money for. It's New York's largest poverty fighting organization. And so they just came on and, and did this, you know, and I forget how long the, the thing went, but 100% of the donations the raised are, are used, are deployed directly to the frontline organizations providing food and shelter and cash assistance, health and mental health, legal services, education, and other supportive resources. So it's a really cool thing, right? And when Tina Fey gave out the final number of how much money was raised, she get emotional. You may too. I am told that the number of donors is well over 100,000 people from kids with piggy banks to million dollar gifts. And no matter how big or small, they all share that spirit of generosity. And in the end, that is how we'll win. Okay, let's look at what we've done tonight. The envelope, please. Is this real? Okay. $115 million. We did this. You did this. We are difference makers. $115 million. What a great day for New York. Thank you to everyone who gave and gave and gave from all over the world. There's so much more to do. Please visit RobinHood.org. Donate. Share it. Tell your friends. Please. Let's keep this going. Robin Hood's site will stay open for donations after tonight's telethon because this battle is far from over. <sighs> Thank you. And just when you thought I couldn't find another coronavirus uh, parody, I did. I found one this weekend. I thought it was funny. It's Beauty and the Beast. I leave you every single show with something that made me laugh, and that's here it goes for today. Town, everyone's in lockdown. All alone, they remain at home. Little town full of little people waking up to say Stay home! Stay home! Stay home! Stay home! There comes old Bernie and he's got corona So why the heck is he outside? Walks around as though he's well I've got corona! With a sanitizer gel He's gonna get us all infected Good morning, Bill! Good morning, Joe! Why aren't you quarantined? I'm not sick! I'm just on my way to Costco to buy some toilet paper before we're out. That's nice. Sandy, the Purell, hurry up. That full video in the show notes with everything else and the survey I hope you'll take for that Target gift card. And thank you so much for doing that as we kind of grow the show and figure it out and what you want, what you don't want. Are we going to move to three days a week? I don't know. You tell me. Do it at uh, the links down. Just you can go down there and go to survey.certifiedmamasboy.com. Either way, we'll take you to it. And I really appreciate you doing that, okay? All right, back tomorrow with another uh, edition of Ask My Mom right here on the Certified Mamas Boy podcast. See you then. Goodbye. Remember, you can call or text the show anytime, 888-Kramer8. That's Kramer with a K. Hey, Kramer. It's Dara from uh, San Diego. I listen to your podcast is about the fact that you have anxiety and I was uh, listening to all of the medications and supplements that you've tried and when you said ashwagandha um, I just wanted to give you props not many people actually know about that um, I mean at least in my in my uh, inner circle and, and stuff like that I was introduced to ashwagandha for my daughter who has ADHD and I can't tell you how much it has helped. Um, she was on Adderall for her ADHD, 
as a 10-year-old. Uh, lowest dose possible, but still, uh, putting your 10-year-old kid on Adderall um, was, you know, the last thing that I wanted. Um, and so I was introduced to ashwagandha, and it has helped her immensely. Um, I hope that your anxiety starts to calm itself. Um, I hope that you do take care of yourself, and I love you. Hey, Taylor. She's doing a good job. I love forever. Bye. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening to my son's podcast, Certified Mama's Boy. Be sure to review and subscribe and tell your friends. Love you forever.